O living Christ, touch our eyes that we may see you, open our ears that we may hear you, enter our hearts that we may know you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The Jewish communities of Eastern Europe are well known for their wonderful and wise folk tales. And this is one I'm sure some of you have heard me tell before, especially in relation to what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. The story goes a little something like this. Long ago in a distant country, a king decided to pay a visit to a prison in his kingdom to try and discover what it was that caused those who were housed there to have ever resorted to crime. While visiting the prison, the king decided to sit down and interview all of the inmates one by one. As he entered each cell and asked the prisoner there to tell him how it was that he had ever come to be charged and found guilty of his crime, the king soon discovered that prisoner after prisoner insisted that they were totally innocent of all charges against them. In fact, they had either been framed or there had been a terrible injustice that had been perpetuated against them causing each one to be sentenced and locked away. And it would continue this way with each and every prisoner who the king interviewed. That is, until the king reached the last cell in the prison. When the king sat down with the final prisoner, thoroughly exhausted from all the interviews he'd done before, he simply asked this final man one thing. Are you Two, like all your fellow prisoners, are you also as innocent as a lamb? To this, the final prisoner looked up and to the king's utter surprise said this, No, your majesty, I am a thief. I was caught in the act of stealing. I was fairly tried and I was sentenced accordingly. In shock, the king said, So you admit that you were a thief. And the prisoner replied, yes, your majesty, that is correct. I was a thief up until the time I was arrested. So with that, the king quickly got up. He turned around to the guards who were behind him and he cried out, guards, throw this man out of here immediately. And with that, the prisoner was quickly taken out of his cell and he was released. Now, as the word began to spread, the other prisoners could not believe what had just happened. And so they began to cry out to the king. Your majesty, they cried, how can you do such a thing? How can you free a confessed criminal while we all remain locked up here behind bars in this prison? And the king looked at each of them and simply said this, but friends, what else was I supposed to do? I had to release that man, for this guilty man did not belong in this place with all of you innocent souls. And with that, the king stood up and left the prison. Brothers and sisters, as I said, I always think of this folktale, and I think that when we hear the gospel, you can see the connection this morning. I always think of it because it fits quite perfectly with the challenge that I think each of us face this morning when we hear again the lesson of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. 
For whereas the readings of the Bible almost always carry deep theological applications that we have to sort out and work through in our lives and in the work of the Christian church, this morning's gospel is one of those moments when the teaching of Jesus is very practical, far more practical than theological. And it's actually quite easy to understand right out of the gate. Yet as clear and easy as it is to understand, I believe, There's perhaps nothing more challenging than the Lord's tough, straightforward teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation for Christians in the 21st century to actually apply and follow in their lives. It's so much more difficult for us to hear because truly none of us ever like to be offended, nor do any of us ever like to admit that we might have actually done something to offend someone else. When someone upsets us, we would just as well pack up and go elsewhere instead of trying to take on what is really hard work that can lead to forgiveness and reconciliation. And when we ourselves happen to be the very one accused of doing the wrong and offensive thing, then just like those prisoners with the king who he interviewed in the folktale, we almost instantly start coming up with every possible excuse for the reason why it is not really our fault, why we were probably framed and set up, or why we were foolishly misunderstood by the other. We human beings can find a thousand reasons why we are always innocent and why everyone else, including the offended party or person, is really the one who's guilty. And oh my goodness, if you find this hard to stomach this morning or you're wondering what I'm talking about, then you've obviously not been paying much attention to what's going on in our world right now. We are a country and we are a world in the middle of crisis, scurrying at all times to point the finger at the other in our deep division, often with little concern for how our own words and actions actually confirm our own offenses. And as much as the Christian church is supposed to be that beacon of light in the darkness, showing humanity a different way to move forward, we in the church often just fall into the very same fight-or-flight pattern of the world. In the Baptist tradition that I proudly grew up in, we knew exactly what to do if there was a disagreement within our church family over something. Those of us who were offended would just go about packing everything up and we'd move half a mile down the road and we'd build another Baptist church. And don't really laugh too much about that because what do we do in the Episcopal church when we get into the same situation? Well, we just drive down the road a mile or two and join a different Episcopal church. From the cathedral across the river downtown to St. Patrick's Episcopal church across the Julington Creek Bridge, In St. John's County, there are five Episcopal churches on the same highway that pass right in front of all saints. It's not too difficult to just avoid the problem for us altogether and just go worship somewhere else. And there's no question, today's gospel really on how we are to handle our disagreements together as a community of believers remains a very deep struggle, especially for the Christian church in all its traditions and in all its denominations. And maybe, just maybe, that's why Jesus decided to deal with it practically very early on in his ministry. For Jesus could hardly be any clearer with the Christian alternative 
in disagreements, in offenses, and in struggles this morning. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says that if someone offends us, we shouldn't wait for them to come to us and admit the wrong. We should immediately go to them, lay out our grievances before them, and open the door for acknowledgement, remorse, and reconciliation. We are to do it immediately before the he said, she said triangles can form and the wounds can begin to fester. If that doesn't work, Jesus says, get together a few mutual friends who can listen to the situation, testify to the offense that's been committed, and possibly give a different view to help the offender realize what has happened, all for the healing and for the building back up of relationship. If that also fails, Jesus says, go yet another step further. Take the matter to the whole church assembly and bring the weight of the entire community of faith to bear on the situation. Again, with the ultimate hope that forgiveness and reconciliation is what will happen. Only after all that fails does Jesus finally appear to give the offended party their vindication and past judgment. Jesus says, if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I figure in that situation, it's okay to pack up and go somewhere else. But even here, we cannot lose the perspective of those very disciples who were sitting right there at the feet of Jesus 2,000 years ago, listening to this message for the first time. Those who lived with Jesus and watched his very own interactions with the people who met Jesus and who he sought after. When Jesus says, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, the disciples, I believe, would have instantly began to see the dilemma going on here. For they had certainly witnessed Jesus dealing with Gentiles and tax collectors day in and day out. And they knew that Jesus never shunned or rebuked them as Jewish custom and tradition exactly dictated. No, Jesus called on them repeatedly to repent of whatever offense that they'd committed, to put that sin behind them and to start following Jesus just as he had done with each and every one of those disciples who were listening to his message. In fact, tradition tells us that the apostle Matthew himself, the very disciple credited with composing the gospel book we're reading this morning, was, before he met Jesus and became a disciple, a tax collector. Knowing this, I believe it's safe to say that Jesus is still, after every other opportunity fails, calling on us to give a chance for reconciliation, even against the unrepentant offender and sinner. Jesus himself is leaving the door open and encouraging his family, the church, to continue to reach out and to continue to invite their offending member to come back into the church family and to be received back into the body of Christ. As we also read this morning in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the Christian law was always fulfilled, not by dictums and things that had to be done, but above everything else, by love of neighbor. St. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Brothers and sisters, there is no question 
that love of neighbor combined with the move to restore and reconcile when a neighbor offends is the one and only way to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as easy as it is to talk about love these days, applying it and living it out as Jesus calls on us to do is perhaps still the hardest thing of all, especially in our struggling, divided, frightened world right here and right now. Next week, we will get to hear Peter step forward and ask Jesus one final question in this particular chapter of Matthew's gospel. Peter will say this, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This kind of forgiveness, reconciliation, accepting of wrongdoing, admitting it ourselves, that we've made mistakes. What could be more difficult and more challenging? Yet that is exactly what this world desperately needs to see us, the church, doing every chance we have. They need to see us believing, loving, and responding differently from what they see every day when they turn on the news or open up the internet. The world doesn't need a Christian social club that plays well together. It needs a living, breathing example of what this world can be if it follows Jesus, what God truly intended it to be, what a loving God never stops reaching out and calling on us to do and to live out. The world doesn't need more hypocrisy and shame. It needs hope and reconciliation and true promise. And brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that all of that comes best to us through Jesus Christ and through the kingdom of God that Jesus established. And God's church is the best place of all, the only place perhaps, that can show the world what Christ created us to be. As St. Teresa of Avila once said, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. And if that doesn't say enough, remember this. There is only one conditional petition that's given to us when we recite the prayer given to us by Jesus. That is that God forgive us our own sins to to the degree in which we are willing to forgive the sins committed against us by others. Let us love one another and let us feed the fire that Jesus Christ sparked and promised can and will transform this struggling world. Amen.